So I have a treat for you today because we're going to study the first, I hope so, two treats, B'divrei Torah. So this is just the scope of our our time together. Uh, I realized I went far afield uh, last week, as I hope we will again, but to narrow our focus ever so slightly is to uh, take the first paragraph of Parshat A. So I'd like to, to turn now page 1117 and welcome. 1117. And by way of introduction and just familiarity, uh, Robert, Barbara, I, I won't be able to read up. I can't do Sarah, uh, Elaine. No, I'm not going to do it all, but I'm, uh, I was a camp director. And when you have a camp and you have an 11-year-old girl and says, what's my name? And you say, Alana. And she says, Alana. <laughs> Margo, you know the feeling if you don't know who you know. So by means of introduction, I, 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 I want to set up a Devar Torah of this first paragraph. So if you'll indulge me. I'm going to read this first paragraph, 1117, uh, of this setup. Remember, this is Moses in his final speeches to the children of Israel, Deuteronomy. We're round and home, so to speak, before we get to Eretz Yisrael. And he is envisioning the people of Israel, Re'eh. And this is really an envisioning. Uh, Re'eh means to see or to look, 1117. But I really believe it's envisioning. And so I want to set up the scenario, what it looks like. And then I want to invite you to reflect on this story. Uh, I'm not going to give you a story. That's a sermon. But to set up what it looks like visually here uh, in uh, Moses' vision as we have these uh, blessings and curses, quote-unquote, Visually laid out for the children of Israel. Yes? So we are one, 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 seven. So for, as an aside, by the way, this is an aside of people who can't see. I'm touching both of my shoulders. Those who know basketball, this means a 20 second timeout. So this is an aside. Okay? So I am, you know, in tennis when they have the scorecards, the four little scorecards. So I'm getting that for the, for our services so that we can have page numbers and it'll just be up there, okay? So that we'll have two Gabaot or Gabaim kids that will be flipping the pages so we'll always know and you you can say, what page? It'll be right there, okay? And that's a traditional thing they did in uh, small synagogues in the Shtibel. It would tell you exactly what prayer you're on, what page you're not what page, but what section you're on and so I hope that will add to familiarity. We do that here, Good. Thus endeth the aside. No, I mean, we talk. We don't use the page here. Yeah. Tell us what the... But then how can we if uh, someone comes in? Shalom, shalom. Your name again. Cecile. Lovely. Uh, 1117 is the page we're on. Sure, Cecile. Great. So let me uh, give my great preaching moment. Uh, meaning, I'm going to read now from this. Re'e anuchi noten lifnechem ayom bracha uklala. Behold, this day I set before you blessing and curse. Blessing if you obey the commandments of your Lord God Adonai. 
that I enjoin you this day and a curse if you do not obey the commandments of God Adonai. But turn away from this path I enjoin you this day and follow other gods whom you have not experienced. Bracha uklala. When your God Adonai brings you to this land you're about to enter and possess, you shall pronounce the blessing at Mount Gerizim and the curse at Mount Ebal. I'm going to read the English and I'm going to challenge this translation. Both are on the other side of the Jordan beyond the west road that's the end of the Canaanites who dwell in the Arava near Gilgal by the terebinths of Moreh. Which sounds like Google Maps quite (laughs) frankly. But that is not the end of a great speech. You don't start with, I have blessing and curse, and if you turn away and you're right, just make sure to wear your slippers, and if you don't wear your slippers, you're going to get fungus. That's how I felt. It just took me from this rhetorical height to Google Maps. So now I want to attempt to show you what this visually looks like, because this is a visualization, because remember, Israel's still in the desert. They haven't entered there as of yet. And now I'm going to make sure. Expo, yes, okay. Gerizim. Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Okay, so when we first look at it in two dimensions, we said to ourselves, okay, I get it. There are these two mountains, and I want six tribes here. The Midrash, the stories try to say which tribes were the ones that got to do blessing and which sides. And six tribes here. Facing one another over this valley. Because they're showing you a spot on this. Both are on the other side of the Jordan, beyond the West Road, the land of the Canaanites. They dwell in the Arava. Now, anybody know in the Sukkot, the four species of the Lulav, of the palm frond, is... The palm frond, the myrtle, and the willow is the arava. Why is the willow arava? Because it's in the river. So this is where he's saying in the river, this is where in the river the Canaanites dwell. The aravot, where the willows are, where the river flows. Which, I live off Rivers Canyon, that's absolutely right. You see these two, right, mountains. So now I want you to 3D a bit, take out your perspective. You've got two mountain ranges where, you know, you can call this a wadi or what have you, but this is where the settlements are. And Moses is asking these tribes to line up six and six. So here is the wadi. This is where the Canaanites are. Just to check, Canaanites, good or bad? Bad. Canaanites were the people who were the idolaters. And Moses is begging us to come in and visualize where we're at. So here's my challenge to this three-dimensional vision, which is these aren't just two groups standing at mountain types, and these are the good tribes and these are the bad tribes. And I think that the, re- the rhetoric... So I just want you to imagine 
the six tribes lined up on these mountain ranges facing one another. Extremely powerful. And if you live near Rivas Canyon, as I do, there's this one guy. Okay, I don't mind if people play their music loudly, but he plays bad music loudly. Like the bad years of Billy Joel. Like, I don't care if you're going classic Billy Joel or Vienna, but the echo is extraordinary. Has anybody been to Masada and tried, yes, and tried to give that shout and then five seconds later it bounces back. That is the acoustic ritual that Moses is envisioning here on Har Hegerizim and Har Ebal. They're not just two people, two six tribes and six tribes huddled together on uh, tops of two mountains. Yay, we made it. No, we're bad. That's this blessing and curse. What is in fact Moses is begging us to understand is now it's important for me to return to the Hebrew. Why does it say this? Okay, is it okay? I'm going to do a little Hebrew and with a huge disclaimer. You know, I am both excited to use the language of Torah. I apologize when I go too quickly. You have to help me and say, Rabbi, say that again. <laughs> Translate, please. It will help me immensely. But I do believe that this Google map on verse 30, now we're on 1117 verse 30, chapter 11, verse 30. Halohema be'ever hayardain. Both are on the other side of the Jordan period. So that first grammatical mark with the line and two dots. Do you see? It's, it's okay. Even if you don't know the Hebrew, visually, you'll see that first letter in verse 30, the hey. Do you see the line? It has a line and two dots. That in Hebrew means it's a question mark. That's a question. Hello, isn't it? So Moses, now this is going to be a little anachronistic. I think Moses is a Hegelian, <laughs> meaning he sets up these clear thesis and antithesis, and he says, you know what, really? It's kind of both. So he has set up for us, as I did in that prophetic voice, I stand before you blessing and curse. But then he says on this verse 30, and I think this is where it really cracks the code for me. Aren't these things, not these two mountains, but aren't blessings and curses the way that we go through the Jordan, through this river valley, remember? Anybody been uh, kayaking on the Jordan? <clears throat> All right. Isn't that the way of blessing and curse? To find our way through Ma'aver, through crossing over this valley? To see all the challenges that we face, that the Canaanites are in the land? And now I ask you to stand at the peak at the two tops before you descend and do this call and response. Okay? 
just does that sound different than because this is how I used to learn it, which was look, hey, this is my my grandpa. <laughs> God bless him. Ninety nine herb. He just would say, look, it's easy. You either blow it or you don't blow it. Don't blow. <laughs> Get out of here. It's simple. You either you win or you lose. That never worked for me because, well, I mean, it worked, but life is very complicated. And in fact, sometimes we think it's blessing and it's challenge. And notice, empowerment, bracha and klala, just a moment on bracha, which is blessing. Or is it baraka? Anybody know that beautiful film, baraka? Great power and emotion. Empowerment, bracha as empowerment. Or empower being empowered to make good choice. And often what you think is one is actually the other. I'm getting there, Judith. Let me give my little spin. No, you're perfect. Fifteen minutes. The drash is supposed to be about fifteen minutes. Here. Drash, which is a little sermon of smaller variety that uses Torah. Good. See, I'm learning. Or klala. Now, this is why Hebrew is so important. Klala is the opposite of empowerment. If anybody knows Hebrew, kal is light. It's just lightness. So curse is very different. Uh, oh God forbid, this I wouldn't do it. But I hope your head is like an onion. And you grow into the ground. You know that one? That's an old Yiddish one. With your feet in the air. What? With your feet in the air. With your feet, right. Well, God forbid. But Klala is actually Kalut. I don't take you seriously. You're a lightweight. And so I really believe that Moses is asking us to face one another, to shout out our challenges, our hopes, and hear them reflected. I mean, it's incredible because on Masada, when I did this with uh, teens or groups, of course, the first one, you know, is uh, Kilat Israel. Kilat Israel. It's incredible. I mean, you hear your own response. And then to that other side. But you know that often it's like Kilat Israel. Bacon. Bacon. Ah! Right? And now here's Judith where I want to go with this, and this is to invite us to really reflect in this next section is sometimes, A, which is not to look, but in our envisioning, we project bracha, empowerment, and we get back klala. Uh, curse, light, disempowerment. Something that is the opposite of what I intended. Uh, and I think uh, I'll give one example, but I want you to as well, which is, you know, you worked so hard. I wrote this newsletter. I asked a thousand people, what's the best framing? How do I teach? I wanted it to be powerful and deep, but fun and light and all that. You know what? Eight out of ten comments. Eh, this word, that note. It was cow. You felt deep, 
And this is what I call deep shallow, which I hate, which is like, I wish for depth and experience of emotional intensity. And he comes back and like, what? I don't know what the guy even said. You feel empowered, it comes back, eh. So that's one example that I want you guys as we consider, and I'd like to go around the room and spend a little time asking, how is it that when we envision bracha uklala, that we project an empowerment, and this can be with our children, we give them all the tools that they hopefully have to succeed, and then sometimes they don't. It can be our success as we come into each day, ready to take on the world, and then we get, I know, that sigh. We get we get a sigh. Okay, so you know that one. But that's only half the story. Bracha uklala, and I think this is actually really the job of religion and certainly the job of KI. I can't say it's my job exclusively, but it's actually to say when someone goes, Oi! That we somehow hear back, Yo! We hear a call. We hear a different response. Do you get that? Boy and yo. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I'm just saying opposite spelling. Mm-hmm. That is correct. That was intentional. because, And that is the reflection. So that actually, and this is actually the truth for me, this is truth. Hey, if you really look and don't look, remember, when we say Shema, it doesn't mean listen. When you really, yeah, when you really check it out, when you really see what's going on, Someone is telling you how hard their marriage is. They're telling you they're married. And they're in love. And that love is difficult. <clears throat> when they're saying, Oh my God, we're great. We've got this great place. And we're going here. And then we've got that. We've got that. Wait, wait, wait. You hear a very different response. So the trick, the alchemy of how to get the Aviar Yardane is to not uh, worship either the bracha or the klala to take them at their word, break those idols. When is it? So I'm going to ask you. This is the open time of this. This. I hope some stories came up for you. When you call out bracha, when you call out empowerment, but it comes back as light. Just you feel def- deflated. That's the word. I notice I didn't translate it. It is. Klala is deflated. Or the opposite. It can be when you feel totally deflated and then realize it wasn't perceived that way at all. Absolutely. So that's, and then that flip side, which is, you come in (laughs) and I just talk. I'm out. I'm done. And then you take a breath and you realize that was just the pivot that I needed to hear that reflection back, amen. And then you have that source of empowerment because you were open. So I'm going to invite you either, I think the first is easier, meaning how often have we put out a great dinner? Uh, do you want to hear a good story about my mom? All right, just one. Okay. They made a new kitchen, okay? And this is in the 80s. So excited, all the new things, whatever Wolf and Viking were in the 80s, that's what they did. Yay, oh my God. She went to Wolfgang Puck in 1980. He was still, you know, just a little 
He was just Spago. And then she took a cookie class with him to make sure it was all great. She comes out, you know, the first meal in the new kitchen, Shechianu, so to speak. I mean, we didn't say the prayer for new things. And my dad, and he did it, I don't think he meant it, and he just goes, who puts a chicken with a pear? Because it was new. I mean, this was the 80s. Who puts a chicken in a pear? That's what he said. Just <laughs> And did she answer the creative chef? Souffle. It was a Tosu Franklin. Souffle. Du souffle. And you know what she said? You don't like it? Too bad. That's it. I'm not cooking anymore. Everything else comes from Pico Robertson, and we had frozen, you know, we had frozen kosher fish soups for the next 20 years. God bless. And I love both my folks. God bless them. So there's one of those blessing and deflation. So open time now. If if it's okay, yeah, good. Yeah, I want to hear from you uh, some experiences of this. Very thing where we project empowerment and we got deflation, or we were in a moment of great spiritual kotzeruach, shortness of breath, and after that conversation, or even that ear, frankly, we came back and being like, wow, I've got a different, yo. Great, great. So, and names just so we can be more familiar. My name or your name? <laughs> Harvey. 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 Yes, I play classical guitar, and whenever I play, it's always beautiful. If I listen to myself play, it is so good. God forbid I should record it. That's the echo. Uh, my dad would say, not so I, I, I. So, um, yeah. So interesting. Yes, that's, that's that or if you lecture or whatever and then you get response at the end of the semester from your students that's the way they yeah and so, and then so how do you how do you get to this place Ava Yardin to cross over to understand that this is the dynamic of art I think that that's what you you, you need that kind of response because you, you're putting music out not only for yourself but for people to hear and uh, and if it's if it's not so great, then you have to learn. <clears throat> and so you, that, that's the lesson is you have to record yourself. You have to get the response. Um, you have to put it out there and be willing to accept. Amen. Amen. So, and know this later on in the parsha, and everyone says amen. And there's something really powerful. You say amen. Amen. Yeah. Uh, or please, yeah, choose. I'm kind of the opposite um, of what you had. I came into the holiday workshop. Several members of this class were, of this torse were in the class, and I came in as a convert thinking everybody knows everything about how to do all of those, and I don't know anything. And here were, I don't know how many women in the class. This is 20 years ago at least, so the timing's the same. And much to my surprise, not only did the women who had been born Jewish and lived in Jewish homes not know that all the things that I thought everybody else knew, but their husbands didn't even want them to be there, resented that they were taking this class. What are you trying to do, mess up our, our regular schedule of Shabbat or 
And I thought, so I'm not as ignorant as I thought I was, or at least I'm among <coughs> other people who have the same level that I do with an, an additional problem, perhaps. Yeah. And it's a perception. I mean, Re'e, you have to really look at Re'e as perception, but it's a challenge. See, I used to think about it like Grandpa Herb. Look, you either got that. They're two types. Anytime someone says they're two types, they're not two types. And that perception then, and then, so then what was the empowerment in that moment? How did you find from I, that moment of empowerment? I felt like I was among friends, huh. that I wasn't alone. And, and that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. I feel that here every Shabbat. So then I do want to say, Amen, and then wait. Amen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, please. Carol, so this is similar. Um, so I grew up very reformed. And um, when I heard here about Torah study, I assumed it was a bunch of old men who only spoke, uh, well, who, who knew Hebrew. So I never came for years. And then I came here, and it was like, oh my God, wow, there's women, and we don't have to know Hebrew, and we're among friends and family, and how awesome is that? And chagrined that I held myself back. Yeah. And now, as you see the dynamic change for yourself, do you see your... Holding judgment on other things as well when you when you think. Um, what I've been doing recently yeah. is not holding myself back and saying yes, and it's greatly enhanced my life. <coughs> That's recently. Well then, Amen. <laughs> Never too late to have a happy child. <laughs> amen. Yeah, please, John. Uh, John, yeah, um, the visual that you. Drawn reminds me of something that my, one of my favorite teachers who passed up from grad school said. She said, um, a scene, like in TV or something, a scene where two truths come together and change each other. And I think about like the, the echo, the reflection back, or the feedback. And um, just. Uh, no, no, please finish that oh, sentence. Oh, finish. I. Uh, I had this interaction with my mom recently. I've been trying to deepen and evolve our relationship as adults. And she used to play the violin growing up. I used to play the cello. I now play the piano. It's like, hey, mom, like, we've never sang a song together. Like, we've never played a song. Do you want to, like, uh, maybe, like, pick up the violin again and play with me? And then only recently, when she came out to L.A. to, to visit with my wife and I, she said, I never liked the violin. She confessed to me. My mom made me play it. I wanted to be a soccer player. And I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. Like, and then I see these like these gender roles, these things yeah. pushed upon her. And I assume that this is who she was. And who you wanted to like re try to build community there. And she's like, I don't want to build the community here. And I was like, oh, I gotta go back to soccer. Amen to Amen to that. Amen. Wow. wow. Yes. I think of the the saying, um, by you, you're a captain, by your mother, you're a captain, but by a captain, you're not a captain. (laughs) Every time you think, I got it, I'm doing it right, I'm the authority, you really find out how little you really know and how tough things really are. 
and you're just a basic guy trying to make it right. That's it. And and to Moses, and so this is the big uh, challenge of this Torah in general for mm-hmm. me as a character. Moses is a character. We always think of Moses starting out, stumbling, little lips. He takes the Egyptian, he fights the big power, he leads the people, and he ends as this tremendous orator over this future. I hear in Moses a tremendous fear and sadness and inability to let go. Self-doubt. And self-doubt about what he is as captain and to everyone else. To everyone else, he's captain and inside. And that's why he says, here you have it. Look, it's an easy choice. You got this, you got that. Choose this. Go. And yet, begging, pleading, because we know that it's much more challenging. Please. Um, Mark. I'm just wondering. So this is Ray. This is Hello Starts on Sunday. A little louder, please. Um, Elul is the uh, last month of the year before Tishrei, at the beginning of our high holidays. We'll blow the show for every day beginning so, in Elul. You know, my take on this uh, piece is I'm just trying to integrate what you said with my take. Maybe it's. So, my take is that at any given moment, you have an opportunity to behave in however you so choose. And this says, you know, make your choice. So I'm just wondering, from your approach, which is one I've never taken before, if the next step is you play your violin, you hurt it back, how are you going to react? Deflated or empowered? And so I'm just trying to take your teaching, integrate it into what this weekend is, and that's a lot and then I want to take Jonah's piece as well and from what all of you have said and say this it feels like a moment in time but that moment that ripple effect is delayed and exponential individually it feels like it's just a purse lip and a blast but it is consequential in its react in its reaction and its playback. And I believe that the six tribes and the six tribes, and I love that you did it, Jonah, in an intergenerational sense, changed the tune to create that interplay. We're often internally trying to struggle with our souls in this month. This is a dance that is trying to listen to that other side, that playback, other side, playback. Now, in delayed time, like that's why I love uh, kind of that music. So then as someone says, bacon, turkey, cheese, tofu cheese, Play back and forth, back and we and not in a moment. This is the right. This is the moment. The gates are open. This, yes, and this is the moment. Make that choice. 
give it the space so that when I say, and I think we all have this challenge, I see the type A-ness in this room with the type B affect, we're highly achieve. But before we can achieve that next rung, to hear, to shout Amen, Amen. And then to hear how it comes back and to and to interplay these two sides. That would be how I would yeah, I can see it as a finite moment. That each moment as it unfolds is the moment. And there and there and, and it evolves. And the, and and complements and poles. And if it can be truly reactive, it's not just and I'll say this, I'm reading Kaplan. I'm really trying to understand Kaplan apart from the movement, and then I'm gonna approach the movement to that earlier conversation, as Kaplan's talking about it, it's not just about Jews qua Jews. It's about how we are a blessing to this humanity without being chosen and thinking we're genetically superior, because we're not. But we, are, we do have a special purpose and reason to be. We don't want to just blend into the world. So that's that interplay that has to be more than just me, more than just my family, more than just my community, more than just my people. Uh, Rita, and then Judith. And you brought up the word chosen just now, and last week we also came up with that word. And because of the alternative explanation, I'm wondering why in the world we had to change the Torah blessings. And I'm saying that because when we all travel around the world, we go to another synagogue. Uh, if you don't know the regular blessing, you know, it makes us... Yes, different, but it wasn't necessary because there's another explanation for the chosenness that you've just given. It is a long history. I will just, I want that to sit there. So this is okay. Okay. This is a perfect example of that was an empowered vision to change the language, to create inclusivity, and perhaps the echo. Is not that. And that doesn't mean right wrong. It means let's hear that echo. And that's that's a powerful echo back. However, sometimes the words really hurt. And so to each to to that echo, I would say, how come? Because I've seen someone in tears. I've seen many in tears. Because that translation, no matter what you explain away, feels alienating, isolating, and ultimately not karvanu la'avodato, which is service to bring us closer to God's, to service. It wasn't even God's, but I think that's what we say, asher karavanu la'avodato. So that's why I would, that's how I would frame it. And disclaimer: this is the associate rabbi, not the head rabbi, not responsible for any any liturgical changes or substantive changes. Process to be determined as we continue. Yes, dear. Because I see things, I'm a visual person as opposed to an oral person primarily, and. This, I hear you talking about echoes and sounds and shema here, but I see this as a sculptor using these two poles to carve a character. And I think from the early stages where we have these choices of withdraw, put forward, 
we're being carved into the person we eventually become because all of these ups and downs and the mountains and the valleys make us who we are. So we're works of art that have been carved by the sculpture of the peaks and the valleys. Yeah. Uh, the, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about scoring uh, as you're trying to fuse two pieces of clay if you just try to mash them together, they're going to fall apart. But there's a certain harm, and it's, I don't want to say harm, but impact that you have to do to get that fusion to happen. Two isolated bodies in perfection cannot... Yeah? You're describing a marriage, too. Right. Yeah. I, well, okay, marriage, too. Uh, a component, yeah, I was describing uh, love. Play and yes. And love. And therefore, it is dynamic and it is mutually. And it is also why I'll say it now. This is rated NC-17. You're 18. Okay. Uh, I find the uh, fascination with BDSM and this master and servant dominatrix kind of, and it's it's now in cultural parlance that it's fun and easy. It's really it really takes us away from this mutuality of call and response. It is call. It's really a it really is a power dynamic that is it it, it hurts. It hurts the soul. Uh, and what I do believe that this six tribes because if it was supposed to be that this six tribes got the curses and it was supposed to be right or wrong, thumbs up, thumbs down. I would know in the Midrash with six tribes, and this is why Rashbam Nachmanides is so fascinating as trying to understand each of the sins that these six tribes may have done to get them there, and he can't do the math, because that's not how life works. Yes, sir. And then George. Yeah. About 30 years ago, my son came to us and uh, told us that he was in love with a girl of Christian background who lives in New Zealand. And we had to absorb that, which was not easy. Then this... Which part? The New Zealand part? <laughs> <laughs> oh, New Zealand remains far. Um, but I, I think I'm telling this story because sometimes things don't turn out the way you think they will, and they turn out better. Um, then this lovely girl came to me and said, I know that you would like me to convert. Do you think I should do it? And I was seized with a moment of honesty because I had been working with people who were survivors of the Holocaust as children and I didn't feel I could ask anybody to convert because so I said to her you can only do this if you really want to I can't tell you and then I heard from other people you're an idiot you should have <laughs> well, you're an idiot. Why? You're an idiot. Why? Because you should have known him. Yeah, tell me what to do. But I did. Yes. And here's the good part. Jewish. But that's instead of the command. Right. Okay. Meanwhile, 
My son remains a very Jewish person and was president of his Reform Temple and continues to play a big role there. And we went there for Pesach and she's cooking up a storm and she's reading from the Haggadah and, and she wants her children to be Jewish. So now, here's the good part of the story. That wasn't their son, their oldest son, is a pilot, and he came to live with us. He wanted to work for an American airline, and uh, he was lonely. And he got on a website. It wasn't even a Jewish website. It was something else. I don't remember the name. And he found this girl, and they're engaged. She's Jewish, <laughs> and he regards himself as Jewish. You know, the only bad word that I heard in that story was "convert." Really, don't like the word, Sean, the word. because what it implies is I'm I'm asking what your re- reservation was. Do you understand? Can anybody put words to that? Why that word does yes. not? <laughs> because and to your respect, which was I was this and now I'm that. Uh, there, there are. There's different it's languages. Like yeah, well, ACDC, but that's just. I mean, what, you're either there are two kinds of people. You know, uh, we, well, a convert. Um, you want to choose Judaism, but you see, even choice. Ah, where, where is your pintle Yiddish and Neshama? Where is that little spark that says that this has always been where I was supposed to be and there's a realization of who I am which kind of resonates with an authenticity that is not and yet you don't want to go too far because some people do trance. Meaning I was Christian, I was Catholic, I came to this faith and yes, there was a new new <laughs> new experience so I don't, it's not one or the other, right, and that's why I don't want to say but for me, she was asking you, do you want me to convert? And the answer is, I don't want you to do me, I want you to become you which Lydia Kukoff wrote a beautiful book. Yeah. By choice, and her final statement is, in fact, we are all Jews by choice. I'm into that. That's Yitz Greenberg and Naomi and I went to high school together. That's a great story. And they, she did different strokes, right? Bernie Kukoff produced different strokes and all those great. They were very subtle messages in the 70s and 80s. Uh, oh, Charlotte Ray, uh, who was oh, yeah. another one of her shows just passed. Incredible. But this was perfect to talk about conversion and trans. In this, notice that I did shift ever so slightly to that subject of the 21st century because I do believe we were the original. Well, let's just go one more verse. I do have Haftarah for you. In 15 minutes. Maybe I'll give you a choice. Do you want to hear what Hebrew means? Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry, George. Thank you, Carol. Thank you. I know. That's for sure. Uh, one, I'm not sure. 
which is not really relevant. I understand the distinction between blessing and curse. I have no idea how six tribes were said were blessing and six were cursed. That's, but that's not really my meaning. There's, there's no way that that's what it means. There's no way that he would take six and six. Good. So we agree that we don't know what. Yes. We agree we don't get it. Yes. And, but the fact of blessing and curse is terrific. Everything is a, is a story. Ninety percent of what happens you can't control. Uh, correction. Ten percent you cannot control. Ninety percent you can control. You can interpret it as a blessing, interpret it as a curse, and act as you want to act, or something in the middle. Mm. That's. I'd love to get to ninety ten, George. We're going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love you're to get to. You're giving us a choice of Hebrew or Haftarah. It's the same idea, blessing or curse. You tell us which. Is this is a totally different <laughs> subject matter. I just, I'll be honest, I, I want to be prepared for you guys. I prepare a bunch. And so uh, I also want to bring in Isaiah in this time. Uh, Isaiah is a powerful, powerful. These are several orators. Or what Ivri means to be Hebrew is to cross over. Kiatem Ovrim. So Over means Judaism is this crossover, this AC to DC, to take curse and turn to blessing to take irrelevancy to be on the margins and become the center it's the story of our people this is about poetry and how to read Isaiah not in the and thus there thee thus thee take thee the woe slaughter thee the sheep I'm already lost because Isaiah's language is more modern uh, Kendrick Lamar is speaks more Isaiah language than the English of the of the Chumash. Kendrick Lamar is a, is a really good artist. He, well, yes, an artist. Send your neighbor down in the canyon, one of his... Yeah, well, no, I was going to play it back, but then my next-door neighbors were like, God, the rabbi really uses four-letter words. Do we vote? See, this is my wife. God bless you. She would be like, don't give them choice like that. So take one, pass it down. Oops. And forgive me, we're going to run a little short on time, and I just want to say, Isaiah. Isaiah is not one character. We've made him into one historically. There are three different Isaiahs. One who is describing more of a historical reality of Cyrus and Nebuchadnezzar in the 8th century before the Common Era. The second Isaiah is more of a spiritualist. And the third Isaiah, in the last ten chapters, there are 66 chapters, third Isaiah is actually a compendium of some of the best prophet speeches of that era. Seventh, eighth century before the Common Era. And we're talking, right, you know, end of the Assyrians, uh, you know, your best friends, Ashurbanipal, Ashurbanipal II. But this final chapter which we read on Rosh Chodesh as we come to this new month of Elul this is, oh did we run out? good, that means we got people that means we learn to share Amen so this final chapter is just pleading us to connect the dots between our moral character and our ritual practice and what is so powerful, and uh, I want to begin with Maimonides. This is the last paragraph here. 
He says, No more can we maintain, because certain malediction occur there, that those who practice idolatry, and upon whom these curses consequently fell, were predestined to be idol worshippers. Let me translate that. We cannot believe that people had bad things happen to them because they were implicitly ready to be idol worshippers. That ritual and Judaism, well, ritual gives us the chance to choose behaviors that will respond to ethical principles. Rituals aren't ethics. Rituals allow us the choice to surround ourselves with concepts and people that translate into ethical and moral behaviors. To the contrary, if you choose, and I'm not calling these things uh, uh, idol worshiping, if you choose to go to a burning man after burning man and swingers party after swingers party and think that you can then turn and say, I am, you know, nine to five, I'm the good just. What Isaiah is challenging, and this is, he's a prophet, look, it's not, it's not all sugar here. It will eventually corrupt your moral existence and that's not predestined. I, I, and I just hate there are always a couple bad apples. No. Every apple's an apple. And then you can choose how you're going to dip it, so to speak. On the contrary, everyone who practiced idolatry did so of his own volition or her own volition, and so received due punishment. In resonance with this passage that we're about to read, you make your choice, so I'll make the choice of their misfortune. Which I used to read... God will punish you because there's nothing I can do. You're doing ritual. So you'll get yours. But Isaiah is saying the exact opposite. You have bad behavior. You continue in that bad behavior. You're going to get your own just reward. Uh, internet uh, consumption, let's just say. Phone consumption. You're on the phone all day. I'm not telling you it's like immoral. I think that's a mistake. I do, frankly. Yeah, you could be, my kid could play for 15 hours, even, and I do think it, uh, Fortnite is an aside, some of these violent games, there's questions of whether that's healthy or not. That's not the point. The point is, you can choose to do this. The more you choose to do this, God doesn't punish my kid with a D because he didn't do any homework because he played Fortnite for the last whole 14 weeks. You set that up. You did that, and that's how God works, which is not really about God at all. That's about human character. And so what Isaiah has done, and I find the genius here, is what are we doing in there? What are we doing in there? We're trying to set our... I mean, and in here, in a sense, we're trying to set our heads right. We're trying to give ourselves that chance to look at the field of experience before us, choose well ritually, so that when ethics come our way, we make healthy choice. And so here... Uh, in these last minutes, I just wanted to really make a plea for uh, orthography. So a little by way of history, I love being a rabbi. And I was, you know, I read my rabbinical school essay. I'm trying to figure out who I am and want to be. I said, I want to be Mr. Rogers. <laughs> I know. And now, right, 
And I worked for Children's Television. It was my first internship. I uh, worked, remember, 321 Contact. It was a science show. We were working on the science show. I did children's theater, and I absolutely loved it, and I loved Camp Ma, and I was going to put those things together. Uh, and then uh, I grew up a bit. You know, as we do, and I wanted to not just be a kitty rabbi. My Dr. Lieber, who helped edit the Eitz Chaim, my rabbi, who gave me my, literally gave me my bris, he said, get out of your shorts. Lech Mekitzarim, get out of your shorts. What's your big vision? And so arts and material culture were a huge part of my rabbinate. I have a degree in art history. I studied manuscripts. And I have found, in particular, orthography, which is the shape of text, how we map out visually text, uh, says a lot about the culture, the people, paleography, its fonts. My wife and I used to say, don't judge a book by its cover, but you're better by its font, meaning if you can really look at how people project these writings, so to say all of that, that was an aside, and I'm sorry you can't, uh, for those on this podcast, uh, I've changed the one line. Do you see in the middle section here as you look? I changed the one line, this is one sentence, into poetry, just changing the orthography. So in the middle section, these are the same Hebrew, but one is the original translation from... JPS and the above, I did my own translation. Okay? So this is what I want to read for you. First, I'm going to read the Hebrew. Then I'm going to read the old translation. Then I'm going to read the poetry version of the Hebrew and my own translation. Okay? And that's how we're going to take it home. I should have devoted a little more time to this, so forgive me. I'll get my timing better as weeks progress. And I just read that without any punctuation because it's poetry and it's read as a sentence. And as for those who slaughter oxen and slay humans, who sacrifice sheep and immolate dogs, who present his oblation blood of swine, who offer incense and worship false gods, and then this line, they have made a choice of their own ways, I will make choice their misfortune. But it is poetry. I just want you to hear, it's almost like, as I said, Kendrick Lamar, or even Shel Silverstein, in its simplicity and in its elegance. So now hear the poetry here. Shochet Ashor, do you hear it? It is rap. No question. It is oratory of the first degree. So I want, this is the retranslation. Now, if anybody can try to say that they understood as for those who slaughter and slay humans who sacrifice sheep and immolate dogs, I got lost on immolate. Okay? <laughs> Offer bull, strike man. Slaughter sheep, kick dogs. Blood votives, bacon tokens. Incense blessed, 
idols there too. He's created this apposition, and this is the prayer for Rosh Chodesh. This is the Rosh Chodesh offering in Leviticus. If you just look at the left line, these are the offerings that they would give at the temple for the new moon. Of bull offerings, of sheep offerings, of the sacrifice of the blood that we do not eat, but we would, we would, uh, uh, I want to say shellac the altar with that viscous uh, radiance. And then finally this incense. So he's given you these four sides, but what he did in this interpolation is say, what's going on here? You offer bulls and you hit a guy? You devote yourself to offering this animal on the altar, and yet when you see a dog, you kick it? I mean, they say just chew it away. That your that your offerings here actually are combined with this un. You know, trafe. And then finally, what does it mean to have idolatry in the midst of our services? Now, this is a challenge to you. Because I want to end where I began. Hey, look, I give you a choice before you. You can either be a good Jew or you can do the other stuff. Be a good Jew. It's simple. Go, Grandpa Herb. God bless you. But that's not life. And that's not even ritual. It's that in each and every moment, it's not choice as much as how do I distill what is righteous, even if it is that I go to somebody's house and they said, Rabbi, I'm so excited. I know you're kosher, so we got the ribs from Tommy John's and I didn't get pork ribs, I got beef ribs. Ah! <laughs> oh my God, the beans are amazing. The sauce is so good. You didn't like the ribs? I like the I like the sauce. <laughs> they weren't. It wasn't chazir. I say oh, I want to be Jewish. If you want me to come Jewish, you become Jewish. Hey, hold on. Either you are, or you aren't. No, no. But here we have to also say in a challenge, and this is where I challenge myself and you. When do we say it's okay? Okay, everybody around me, marijuana's legal, and everyone around me is high on a Saturday night, not talking to one another. And that's the party. And it's kosher. It's legal. That's not kosher. If we're not talking to one another, and if it's not enhanced, I mean, I'm not saying yay or nay. What I'm saying is, what is righteous, what is pure, and what is not, is not so black and white. And I'll leave you with this. In the red and the blues of our lives, purple is the color of our tradition in the priesthood. That when we find not just gray, but when we find that purple, when we can distill it, bring it out and come back, I know that even in the most challenging struggles of our existence, we will find a man. <laughs>